Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. We are back. I'm live in my office today with my father-in-law. Dennis, how you doing, man? Good. Good. Doing well, yeah. Good. Before we get going and before we pray, we're going to just remind you, I want to remind you about the Honor God Network. You know, there are a lot of websites, a lot of people building websites, and a lot of places that are hosting websites. And specifically, for the last time I talk about the Honor God Network this month, I want to remind you, pastors, that your church website is hosted by somebody. And as people are giving, they're trusting that the elders of the church are doing the best that they can to be good stewards of the money that's been given. One of the ways that you can be a good steward is really just think through, okay, what are the, the tools that we're using as a ministry? And even with a website hosting platform like Squarespace, which is what we used to use, Squarespace, I mean, hates Christianity. They, they hate the ways of God. And there's an easy alternative with the Honor God Network. And what we did is we switched our platform from Squarespace to Honor God Network, and now they host and, and do all that stuff with our website. And my friend Riley Both has been doing a great job over the last decade or so building this infrastructure to be able to provide support, not just for, for churches, but also for content creators. And so if you're doing a podcast, if you're writing, uh, just look and follow the, the link in the show notes and you can find that information at the Honor God Network. So we're going to go ahead and pray and then you're going to get to know my father-in-law a little bit and we're going to talk about ministry. He's had some unique opportunities over the last, I mean, decades doing ministry. And so we're just going to glean some w- wisdom and get to know him some and learn all that we can uh, from him and have some fun in the process. So why don't we go ahead and pray Sure. and then we'll get after it. Yeah. Father, we thank you for this time. Mm-hmm. We ask for your blessing upon this conversation. Mm-hmm. And I thank you that uh, I'm just thankful for a father-in-law, for, for a man that I've been able to learn from and now get the opportunity to get him in front of some some guys to be able to, uh, to teach and for them to be able to glean and learn and, and soak up some of the things and lessons that he's learned over the years. And so we trust you're going to guide this conversation. God, I pray it'd be fun and it would be helpful. And we trust you're going to lead it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I know you. I've known you for 12 years now, but the folks listening in don't know you all that well or at all. They've heard me talk about you. And so in some ways, in some of the episodes with this and the Majesty's Men show, I've actually talked about you quite a bit. And so people have heard about this legendary, you know, father-in-law. Uh-huh. And uh, so today we get to have this conversation. So why don't you go ahead and bring us up to speed. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and then the family and then... Then bring us up to speed on just what you've done because you've been a teacher and, and a preacher and, and now you're retired. But just kind of just tell us all things, Dennis. Well, I appreciate you asking me to be on your podcast. Yeah. Uh, usually Jared calls and says, help me fix the camper or the, <laughs> the mower or something yeah, like that. So, exactly. Yeah. But you know what? That's part of being a father-in-law or father, whatever. You'd yeah. be glad when your boys call you and say, Dad, hey, yeah, come over. Something. and yeah, What I do something. I do? Yep. Yep. <laughs> We're always, it's always good to be needed. But, uh, but anyway, um, I know Jared 12 years and I. Have been blessed. He's part of our family. Um, I'm going to be 66 years old this fall, and uh, you know, scripture and life relates and looks a little different at 66 than it did at 36 or or whatever. Uh, and you know, different scriptures uh, just come alive to you as you get older, mm-hmm. and they meant something to be younger. But you, maybe you can relate to them, mm-hmm. like when Paul's writing to Timothy, yeah. First and Second Timothy. You know, when you're older, you can connect with that a little bit more, or uh, I relate to David, and David wrote some of the Psalms when he was older. And um, I especially like this one in Psalms 37, and I, I know you've quoted this in, in your sermons, but 
David said, I was young mm-hmm. and now I'm old. Yeah. And he said, uh, yet, that means in the midst of all of this time, mm-hmm. he said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. Yeah. And uh, I love the part about God never forsakes the righteous. I love that. I can hold on to that. I love the part that God's provision is so good, it can run over into your sons and into yeah. your grandsons. I love that. But what I really grabbed, you know, to me was when David said, I was young and I have old. David blinked mm-hmm. and suddenly he's, you know, in, in the golden years of the gray haired, you know, age. Yeah, right. And, uh, I think what he's saying is, you know what, if you're observant, um, as you go through life, you'll, you'll see things, you'll learn things and, uh, you know, you'll, you'll understand things better. Yeah. Um, you know, in ministry, you know, and not just as because you know we fulfill the role of a we're a man and we're a husband mm-hmm. we're a father we're you know pastors we're we full, you know we're a lot of shoes yeah and um, but there's different things that I've learned in ministry and one of them really important cr- critical parts I think are that uh, all believers you know we all have the same destiny where we end mm-hmm. we all end in the same point yeah but every believer has a different point of origin. And a different journey in getting to that destination. Mm-hmm. And it's we're all unique and we're all different. And the Lord does. It's his ability to do that in a billion different people's lives. To yeah. work through their life and do that. And that's unique and that's interesting. You know, if people that are saved at five. Uh, and, and some people are. I mean, uh, Jordan was saved at five. You mm-hmm. were saved at five. Yeah. I can remember Jordan at the your wife, my daughter, at the altar at a revival. Mm-hmm. And it was the altar. And she's got tears rolling down. And she just came to the understanding, the Lord just let, released that on her, that, you know what, it was it was your sins mm-hmm. that are forgiven on that cross, yeah. and the gratefulness and the appreciation. So it's a, some people have that point of origin when they're five years old, mm-hmm. and they have a wonderful testimony of the Lord's faithfulness all of their life, mm-hmm. through puberty, adolescence, teen years, temptations, hormones up and down that can mm-hmm. testify of the Lord's faithfulness. But other fe- people get saved when they're 35. Yeah. And a few even in latter years, not very many. The statistics are, you know, much smaller right. as you get really old. But some people are saved at a little later years. <clears throat> that was my case. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the difference is when you're saved later on, you have accumulated more sin and developed more sinful behavior patterns yeah. than people that were saved when they were younger. Right. Those people have another kind of a testimony. They have a radical conversion testimony. Mm-hmm. That means they were saved radically and changed. And, uh, you know, uh, Jesus said, I think it was in Luke 7, that those whom have been forgiven much, they loveth much. Mm-hmm. There's a, 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 you know, he was talking about Mary Magdalene and, and people that had accumulated a lot of sins and the unbelievable forgiveness and the unbelievable love that they experienced. And I know in Hebrews, and there's a couple other places, talks about, that he has purged us from our sins. Mm-hmm. And that word purged is an interesting word. It's in heating and air conditioning guys talk about that. If you have a blowout where you have this contaminated system, mm-hmm. they've got to purge or they shoot a bunch of Freon through the lines to okay. eliminate all these contaminants. And you've got to shoot a lot of Freon to clean this thing up, you know, whenever you, uh, you know, before you go ahead and refill it and okay. get it back on a smooth cycle. A little bit more simple version of that is like when we flush a toilet. Mm-hmm. You know that you actually have to flush two and a half times the amount of water through to clean it that actually settles and resides in the bowl mm-hmm. you know, later on. Okay. 
Like when you go in and you see your sons have used the, the restroom and it's mm-hmm. just, you can hardly tell it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not much. You flush, but there's not much. But then sometimes right. after men's group, I mean, yeah. it needs a <laughs> heavy right. flushing, right? Yeah, I right. mean, and I think that's the same way too when we look at people's lives. I mean, sometimes the Holy Spirit's got to come in yeah. and just really clean house. Yeah. You know what I mean? Of all, not only the sin, but also the nature and the sinful behavior, you mm-hmm. know, all of that is dealt with. Right. That, that's one thing that I've grown to understand. Mm-hmm. That we all have a testimony, whether it's the Lord's faithfulness and, and steadiness throughout from five years old or yeah. whether it's his ability to, our radical conversion. Which, which, is, which is you. Which I is mean, another which is, testimony. Yeah. <clears throat> and the other thing, because there's two points, the other point is how important the gospel is. Mm-hmm. Even when it's not popular, and in the age we live in, it's not the popular message. Right. You know, but the scripture tells us that it is, the cross is an offense, mm-hmm. you know, to, to those that are perishing. Yeah. Um, and and um, uh, the gospel, I think it's in first, first Romans 1 maybe, it says that, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Mm-hmm. It is the power of God unto, sal- unto all those who are being saved, or unto yeah. salvation for all those who believe. So there can never be, the gospel which began several thousand years ago cannot be abridged, amended, yeah. weakened in any way, because it is that gospel that those words that are carried on the power of the Holy Spirit that penetrate through mm-hmm. all everything else that people are hearing and thinking and feeling, that has the power to penetrate and change lives. Yeah, and that was what why I'm passionate about that is because I've lived through that. Um, I grew up in a house much like Susan, my wife Susan was, and it was kind of a dysfunctional house. Mm-hmm. Dad's church was the golf course, uh, poker game, you know, stuff like that. Mom grew up in a, you know, a family that went to a country church, so okay. mom kind of drug Darren and I to church, drug us to church. My brother. Methodist church, right? Is it? Well, I'm trying to say all the I'm trying to say all the denominations. Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay, gotcha. I'm trying not to. I yeah. probably will slip, but yeah. you know. And again, it's, it's not okay. the sign on the front of the door. Yeah. Because some signs you think they're really dead. You'll find a group of people there that are, you know, what I mean? on fire for the Lord. You yeah. never know. And another sign where you think, oh man, that's a happening spirit filled church, and they're just. In, in the religious rut worse than anybody. Yeah, right. So it's more the heart of the people inside than the sign. Yeah. But good. anyway, I was drugged to a church and I had to, you know, with mom just, we had to. I remember singing up in, in Christmas programs and just like hating being up there <laughs> singing in front of everybody. I just got to move my lips, you know. <laughs> right. Um, I was baptized when I was a child. Mm-hmm. I, you know, was drugged to church. When I was in eighth grade, I had to take a class for a week, like in the summertime. Mm-hmm. And we were learning the, the doctrine of the church. And in the end of that week, we read a prayer and they told us we were Christians in and they gave us a slip of paper. Okay. You are now a Christian. Mm-hmm. So when, when I got older in high school, dad told my mom, he said, Hey, when these kids are of this age, they can choose whether they want to go or not. So we just forget that. No, we're done. We're right. going golfing. We're going whatever, I mean, right. whatever it may be, you know, we just did that. Yeah. So that was my upbringing and seeing it not modeled in my home. You know what I mean? Susan was the same way. It was, even though she was drugged to another denomination, you did not see it modeled in your home. It was almost right. a hypocrisy. It almost turned you off. Yeah. You'd rather not even go by what you see in your household and your, yeah. your parents and stuff like that. Cause right. it kind of, but anyway, Susan and I got married when we were like 25 and, uh, started teaching school, coaching wrestling. And in small country schools, it was kind of like, so socially, I mean, you need to go to church somewhere. Okay. I mean, it was just, you know, part of the, the thing to do, part of your image, I guess. So I thought, well, we'll go to the church. I got 
drug to when I was a child. So Susan and I went there for a while and immediately put me on a committee and I drove the bus, uh, or took my rotation, picked up the older people and got them to church and took them back. Mm-hmm. And I would sit and I listened to the sermons, Daniel in the lion's den, Jonah in the belly of the whale, seven steps on being a better person, you know, and just that, those kind of services, you yeah. know, I walked out scratching my head, you know, mm-hmm. just so after a while, we just quit going. It was so unfulfilling. Mm-hmm. It'd be like going to a restaurant and they brought you out bread and butter, you know, yeah, water for right. it. But it was kind of like that. So then we tried another denomination in the same town where Susan had grown up. So we went there and uh, the pastor had an official robe, you know, oh, purple, yeah. you know, it kind of looked, it wasn't Catholic, but it was, you know, a different kind of a church. Mm-hmm. And immediately put me as a trustee, and I was in charge of putting a roof on <laughs> the church. That, so, somehow you've got that appeal, like that I guy's got to do something. <laughs> but but the danger in all that is, after I put the roof on the church, and after I you know drove buses, well, God's got to be happy with me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've deposited into my account, you know, cha-ching, God's smiling and happy with me. Right. All right, so that was kind of where we were. But the the break, what broke our, our I guess, our position there was, the pastor invited me to go golfing with him. So I went golfing with the pastor. He was a younger guy, like I say, but he had been divorced. Hmm. And as at a young age, but you know how it is, it's, it was her fault. You know, oh, she yeah, just, right. she abandoned me. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing is, every Sunday morning, he had the, the breath of liquor slash Listerine. Because I, I had that breath many times. Like mm-hmm. coaches would go out drinking, get up the next day, go to. And I remember Listerine was a, the best cloak you could have for the liquor all night at the bar. So that troubled me. And then the, finally we went golfing and every time he had a bad shot, he would like swear. Mm-hmm. I mean, cuss pretty rough, pretty hard. Yell and just cuss. And I remember thinking, if this is my spiritual leader, right. I'm in trouble. Man. Even though I wasn't saved, even though I had no spiritual compass at all in me, I at least knew I'm in trouble. Yeah, that's if, not right. No, if mm-hmm. this is the guy that's supposed to point me to, to, a higher, you know, level of living eternally and towards God. And I thought I'm in trouble. So we quit going there. Um, so Susan and I, we just quit going. And uh, <clears throat> I was teaching school and uh, I had to take some continuing education classes. And there was another guy that lived in also the same town of El Dorado. And he worked for the regional superintendent's office. And he would come around and talk with the teachers. And he came up to me and said, hey, Dennis. He said, I've got to take that same class. It was like an hour drive. He said, that's carpool. Mm-hmm. So I said, sure. His name was Dennis also. I said, okay. sure, sure. So we carpooled. And uh, he was one of those uh, in high school. You know, his name's on the gym. The, high, the, the highest score offense ever, 73 and 74. State, you know, whatever. Was that when El Dorado had that team? Yes. That was, yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. he was like, about, he was that. like. And he was like six six, okay. a great big guy. And he was like everybody, oh, it's Dennis. Hey, over there, you know, everybody just everybody knew that guy. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, well, this would be cool, man. I coach, and I mean, I've been in sports, and so we start carpooling. I had a couple locker room jokes. I thought, man, this would be good to him, but he just kind of grinned, never said a word mm-hmm. to my jokes, and um, and then we just talked a little bit. And this guy just had a, a piece about him, and just kind of smiled, and was just kind of a just a really a nice guy. I was used to, you know, uh-huh. and. Uh, and then he starts talking about the Lord, like first person, like he knew God. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, okay, okay, this guy, this front will come down pretty soon. Right. I can see through this. Yeah, you this know. guy's a phony. Yeah, he's a phony. <laughs> so we rode, we rode together for like that whole semester. And uh, like this guy didn't shake. I mean, he was like just a gentle giant, 
loved people, had always talked positive stuff, kept talking about the Lord. And then finally he invited, he said, this, you, you and Susan need to come to our church, come to our church. And I remember going home and I told Susan, I said, I don't know what it is, but I want to go where he goes. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had developed credibility with me. Yeah. I mean, it's not that you meet a stranger and like, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus or come to my church. Mm-hmm. It's after months of people watching you. It's like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to listen to what you got to say. You are, you are demonstrating. Yeah. You are showing, living what you're inviting me to come to be a part of. Yeah. So we went to church and uh, with him, it was a Baptist church. I can say that it was a Baptist mm-hmm. church. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, Baptists have got, uh, I, I think, hi, I, I preach in a lot of Baptist churches. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, you can have knuckleheads in every church, you realize, except for your church. Yeah. It's the only one they've ever met. There's not some pain in the butt walking around ready to, like, argue with everybody and stop the movement. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've been very fortunate. Yeah, you are. You're blessed to have that. Yeah. But but anyway, we get invited to this Baptist church. It's a pretty good-sized Baptist church. And I remember walking in the door, and there was just a different atmosphere. I, you know, I can't put my finger on it, but just, it was some, it was like if you lived in pollution and all of a sudden uh, atmosphere and then you walked into a, a city in the mountains where the air was just so clean. It was yeah. something different. Okay. So I walk in the sanctuary and everybody was just like friendly and coming up and like, like welcoming us and like glad we were there. Mm-hmm. And I, well, this is kind of neat, you know, but what I didn't like is the pastor's sermons. Okay. I mean, this guy, it wasn't Jonah in the, uh, Jonah in the belly of the way. It wasn't just Daniel. I mean, this guy was like preaching um i mean i couldn't daydream okay. i mean I, I, he caught captured me and what i didn't like is every time he would kind of wrap this thing up it was it was like making it personal mm-hmm. it was like laying it in your lap and i remember him pointing and, and he would say jesus it was not the pharisees it was not the roman soldiers it was you and your sin that nailed jesus he was like pointing at me when he was saying that yeah and i would i was like offended by that I said, Susan, I know he's talking to me. I am not going back to that church. So how many times did you go? Okay. okay. Is this okay. over a period okay. of time? Yeah. Well, not very long. Just the first okay. couple of times, it was like, I mean, this guy is, he's making this way too personal. Okay. I mean, he's laying it in my lap. Mm-hmm. You know, he's talking about me up there, which probably everybody was thinking that. The yeah. gospel has a way of, you know, yeah. talking to everyone individually. Mm-hmm. So, um, and during, they have this altar call, which that's the most uncomfortable five or 10 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, this invitation to come forward, which, you know, I mean, I, I'm gripping that pew pretty mm-hmm. good. And, and during one of the invitations, this older lady, she's like redhead lady, she, turns, she turns around to me and she says, do you know the Lord? Are you a Christian? Right in the, right in the middle of the altar call. It's uh-huh. like, I'm thinking, lady, get out of my face. Well, yeah. You're in my face now. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, hey, I took the class. I got the paper at home. Mm-hmm. I've got to be a Christian. Right. Uh, but I, But it was very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But you know what? It should now, be. Is Susan uncomfortable at the same yes, time? She, yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah, we're kind of squirming. Mm-hmm. But that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That is laying this in your life. It's bringing your sins yeah. in your face where you see the writing on the wall, all the accumulation of your sin and your selfish ambitions. And, you, you know, it's putting it in your face yeah. and, and connecting that with the reason that Jesus had to go to the cross. Yeah. All that I know is it was the fourth Sunday. And all that I know is we're at the, we're at the altar. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. It was like, I know we weren't transported, but it was right. like, I don't remember anything other than the invitation. And next thing we're at the altar and people are laying hands on us and praying for us and stuff like that. Yeah. And it was like, uh, you know, 
what, what's happening here? So it's almost like you had to run out of the doors or run to the altar. Yeah, like it, that's two. right. That's yeah. right. And a church should be that way. Mm-hmm. You should be so uncomfortable. You should never be comfortable in your sin mm-hmm. and not being a believer and continue to go to church for a long period of time. Right. You shouldn't be that way. Yeah. Either that, you know, something's wrong somewhere. Mm-hmm. But uh, so we're saved and we're, then we get baptized immediately, like the next Sunday. It's the same the heater was out on the baptistry, you know, mm-hmm. the heater okay. was out. So, uh-huh. you know, those are, but those are memorable, you know, those absolutely. Are, I mean, yeah. praise God, you know, <laughs> so that was good. And, uh, so immediately I was changed radical, a radical conversion. Mm-hmm. I just was, which was a shock to some people, right? Like oh, shock, shock well, to Aaron, it, shock to, to everybody, to every, everybody that knew me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I mean, immediately you think differently, immediately you speak differently. And I'm not boasting of myself, but the Lord just cleaned up my think processes, the words that come out of my mouth. I mean, I used to cuss like every other line. And I mean, there's nobody you'll ever find. Well, and it's not me. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, the holiness of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. you know, cleaning up my speech, back, cleaning up your thoughts. Yeah. It changes how, your priorities in life. Mm-hmm. You know, it gives you a hunger and a passion to worship, to come to church, to read your Bible. Um I mean, it just it just changes you, and that's when Scripture says becoming a new creation. Old yeah. things pass away. Mm-hmm. It's just that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. Now I don't have the testimony of being saved at five and walking this straight and narrow, and the Lord being with me through all of. The, I don't have that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've got skeletons in my closet, you know, mm-hmm. that could be brought up, you know. But but I have the 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 testimony that. Jesus Christ, not only did he die on the cross, be ascended, and he, and he poured out the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And that Amen. that third member of the Godhead, that Holy Spirit is what purged me, changed me, and now dwells within me. Mm-hmm. It's his consciousness. Whenever it says his spirit now bear, when Paul talks about being led by the Holy Spirit, and then he goes on to say, it is when his spirit bears witness with your spirit. Yeah. It's when his consciousness becomes part of my consciousness. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and it was a radical change for me. And I went on coaching one more year. Okay. And, uh, coach wrestling one more. And I went from cussing them out in the locker room, showing them how to hurt people when the uh, official wasn't looking to praying for them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, bef- before. So they knew like, before, something's happened to well, Coach Vaughn. Almost every one of those kids that I've come in contact with have been saved are born again Christians now. That's awesome. And I've given some of them Bibles that I've had that I've read through and made all my notes into. And yeah. I baptized some of them. That's awesome. But they saw a radical change from one year in coaching to the next year in coaching. Well, and I bet that was cool for Dennis too, your buddy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, yeah. So, so backtrack. So we're saved and changed, and Susan is too. But she had a little bit. Uh, her conversion was real, but she wasn't like crazy on fire mm-hmm. as far as blowing people's hair away and just like dump. You know what I mean? She yeah. she was conservative, you know, conversion, which was good. And she prayed, did all the thing, but she there wasn't a. a, a I maybe it was a. I may have been a flaw as much as it was. At, I don't know. But it was just like, I would drive teachers crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would take over a Sunday school class and start asking them questions that they couldn't answer. Because I was like reading my Bible nonstop. Mm-hmm. I read through the whole, first I read the Living Bible. Mm-hmm. And then I read the King James. And I, I struggled a little bit, so I went back to the New King James. Mm-hmm. Then the NIV. I mean, I was reading it in the morning, reading at night. Whenever, uh, at my lunch hour at school, I'd just be reading my Bible. I just could not stop. It was like... Why didn't somebody tell me this? This is yeah. God telling me this. Why did not somebody hand me this thing? God wants to tell you something. It's right. like, you know, you never got that revelation. Uh-huh. You know, uh, and, and you know, and I tried looking through it because I had a cousin that was always reading her Bible. She was a cool Christian. And it was just mumbo jumbo. Mm-hmm. Whenever you have the uh, the unregenerated carnal mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just, it, it's foolishness. But, but I was just 
a radical as far as just eating a word up. And I, I'm one of those that run a Bible with, you know, writing all over it and circling and highlighting and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but we went through it for about a year and a half. And I, re- I remembering sensing that there was more than just coming to church, sitting in a pew. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I was a new convert and I was, you know, and I was just, every time the doors were what we were, they wouldn't be a part of stuff. But I was just sensing there's more than just sitting in a pew. Yeah. I don't know. It's like you, you, you feel the sensation or before you ever have the revelation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, it's like the desire and then here comes the understanding. Mm-hmm. It's how God kind of works in, in us. But so I remember uh, meeting with my pastor before Wednesday night Bible study for like 30, 40 minutes before everybody else came okay. and we got in the altar and prayed together. Mm-hmm. And I remember praying basically the same kind of prayer. He would pray a little bit and then he would just let me loose and he, he lay hands and just keep praying. And I just kept saying, Lord, said, I said, Lord, I don't understand it all. I said, I don't know it all. I said, but I am willing, whatever you want me to do, I'm laying it out right here. Mm-hmm. Whatever, whatever. And I prayed that for six months. Mm-hmm. All right. That's what I was praying. Now, <clears throat> so after six months of praying that, now God is supernatural. He just is. He's a supreme supernatural. His ways and thoughts are so much about it. When God moves in our lives, sometimes it's supernatural. Oh, it just yeah. is. I never question somebody's testimony. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I do everybody because everybody's got some testimony. So also different. Yeah. So I remember praying that. So we came home. It was uh, in the first September, first of September, 1992. And we just got home from church mm-hmm. and we went to church on Sunday night. And how long and, since you were saved at this point? Uh, about this a year and a half. The, about a year and a half. Call the ministry? Like something? About a year and a half. Okay. So I go to bed. I go to bed and uh, Susan and I both go to the kids are asleep. And uh, I remember waking up. And thinking I'm having a heart attack. I just did. I woke up. My heart was just racing. Hmm. And uh, I was kind of jittering. on Like like you, if you were uh, like jittering like you were having some kind of a withdrawal. Or, or maybe caffeine or something like I was jittering. I couldn't stand up. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm dying. Here I am. I just got saved. Hmm. I'm, I'm going to die of a heart attack. You know, I'm just thinking that. And I'm looking at the clock. And it says 12.01. So it's actually like a minute into Monday, I guess. And it's okay. 12.01. And I'm looking at this clock, and then all of a sudden, I see the clock the whole time. On this side of my eyes, I see like, you know, like, uh, like a dream, but I'm awake. Whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. I'm just saying, I see this kind of a vision. It's like click a video. No sound, but it's black and white. And I see a video, and it's, it's just, I'll tell you this some other time, because it's kind of lengthy. But basically, it's this guy going on a journey, and it wasn't always easy. There were There's things that we was carrying, and... In the very end, this person looks up, and it was me. I saw I was seeing myself. So at 12.05, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, that stops. I can move. I remember running into the front room, and I had this legal tab pad that I used to keep in the recline. I pull, I pull the tablet. I start writing down everything that I saw. And I put the leg, the tablet down top of the table, and I go back in, and I wake up Susan. I said, Susan, Susan, I just I just had, just, I had something. I can't even explain it. Mm-hmm. And, and I told her, and she starts crying. I'm crying. Uh, and you could feel you know, like a resiliency in the room. I don't know. You could just feel something in the room. So we're like, we're crying and, uh, I'm telling her this. Then we just, we just fall asleep. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, uh, wake, it's Monday. I wake up, go to school and I wake up and I'm open my eyes. I'm like, wow, what a, what a wild dream that was. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking, man, I dream that. And I get up to make the coffee pot and there's the legal tablet mm-hmm. laying on front of the coffee table. And it's all, the whole page is just filled in exactly what I saw. So I get my cup of coffee and I start aching. I thought I was getting sick. Mm-hmm. Like when you get, I had like just body aches and of just fatigue and body aches. 
you know, COVID wasn't around back then. Right. So, but anyway, I just felt kind of weird. I thought, well, it's too late to call sub. I got to leave for school. So I get in the car and I drive to school. When I get to school, I'm, I'm feeling pretty rough and I'm walking down the hall and coming down the hall, the other direction is the principal. Okay. And he, he's a born again Christian, sings in a gospel group, goes to the same church I got saved in. So he walks by and then he stops and he comes back and says, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm okay. And then he turns, starts, he turns and said, no, wait a minute. He said, there's, you've got something you're supposed to tell me. So I told him what uh-huh. I saw in this. I said, I feel like, man, the Lord woke me up and I felt like I had this, this vision. I saw something. And immediately when I told him, I, I felt, I felt good. Uh-huh. I felt good for the rest of the day. Huh. Next morning I wake up on Tuesday. I feel terrible again. Mm-hmm. I, I go to school and all of a sudden another person, they're always Christians. Mm-hmm. So for seven days or for six straight days, I wake up feeling terrible somebody either comes to my door that evening, knocks on the door and says, hi, I've been thinking about you. There's something you're supposed to tell me. Calls me on the phone. Dennis, the guy that let me Lord, uh, a nurse that was there, uh, a Christian nurse. I mean, for six straight days and every time that somebody would, and I would tell them mm-hmm. what I saw, I felt perfect. I never read this until months later in Daniel, when Daniel seven, he had, when Daniel would have a vision, mm-hmm. he would feel a, a, like a, a fatigue, an illness, it says, which is, I guess physically you're so overwhelmed, I guess is what it is. So anyway, for six days, I keep telling this. So Susan runs into her, a friend that she went to high school with named Jeff Rush. Okay. And he's pastoring a pretty good sized church. It's just happening. It's like a really cool church. A lot of things, good things are going on. A lot of people are being saved. She says, Jeff, you said, my husband is in a mess. Mm-hmm. He's had this experience and he just keeps, somebody comes up and asks him what it was. He tells him and then he feels better. Jeff said, I'll be out there tonight. So, Jeff and Dixie, his wife, come over that night, and I share with him. And he prays him, and he says, tomorrow morning at my church, you're going to come and share that. So, okay. So, that morning I get up, I go over there, and I go to Little Chapel, or his church, and I start, I just start talking. And people just start getting out of the pews and laying on the floor on their faces. Everybody just all over the place just starts laying on their faces. And I talk, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes. And uh, then we went home, and my pastor from my church said, I want you to come at my church tonight. We're having mm-hmm. a revival starting the Sunday night. Why don't you come and share it? So I go there and I share it with him. And uh, the evangelist gets up and says, this is the service tonight. Mm-hmm. He said, all of you with a willing heart, he said, I want you to come to the altar. Mm-hmm. And that was his, that was the whole service. And everybody just got on the altar. And, uh, you know, you read in, in a, you read later on in Exodus, I think it was around 35, there's several times that God tells Moses to bring the people with their sacrifices to him. But then mm-hmm. Moses qualifies this. He said, only those with a willing heart, not those that are here out of obligation, not those that are here, but a manipulator had their arms twisted. Those that really have this willing heart, bring them to me. I can do something with them. So it was a big deal. Then it's a big deal today. So, uh, I, I felt fine after that, after I announced that in the church, in those two churches, I felt fine. And I thought, man, I'm glad this is over. Mm-hmm. Woo. Got through this one. Yeah. Well, I come home from school one day, and there's an elder and his wife sitting in my front room with Susan, and they've been waiting all day long since lunch. And I get there like three forty or something like that, and they said, "We want you to pastor our church." And I said, "Hmm, this is interesting." I said, "You want?" But again, it's just like you just got to step out by faith. If God's in the middle of it, don't try to figure it out. Yeah. Don't have all your ducks in order. Don't have your all your P's, I's dotted and T's Just step out by faith. And let God do the rest of those things. If you know it's according to his will. Right. Yes, according to his will. You know, look for that biblical precedence. 
So, <clears throat> next thing I know, I'm Sunday preaching in a church. <clears throat> Got to go buy a I go buy a, a suit or a sport coat and a tie. Is that is that when Darren <clears throat> said no. he heard you preach for the first time? No, no, he thinking? came he came later. Oh, he came later. But okay. It was at, at that church. So next thing I know, bam, I'm pastoring a church. Okay, I'm teaching school. I don't have time for this. Mm-hmm. I'm teaching school. You know, I don't have time for this. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and that's when I stopped coaching wrestling. Is that the Lord told me? Okay, you've been the witness to these boys. Now you're going to coach my people mm-hmm. and, and and preach. So I. So I started up the pre-pastoring in that. It was a country church. Mm-hmm. I knew it was probably 30, 35 people are there. So my sermons were probably pretty weak. You know, mm-hmm. probably <laughs> not a lot of depth to them, but a lot of passion. Uh-huh. But you know, but not a lot of depth probably. Um, and I remember the, in, in the Baptist Association, you can't. You back then you couldn't uh, baptize or marry people without ordained authority. Mm-hmm. You had to be ordained. So my elders told me, said, you, "We need to get you ordained." Mm-hmm. So. And the Baptist back then in the nineties, early nineties, uh, to be ordained, it was a process. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the first thing you did is you had to send a, a letter a liberation to the church, to your association, mm-hmm. liberating you from the church, your membership, and in your intent to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing, Art started you on a study series through Oakland City University in Evansville, okay. and there was a curriculum, um, Hebrew history, uh, administration of the church. I mean, just all kinds of books. You had to meet every other month with an examining committee okay. and made up of uh, elders, pastors, whoever from Oakland City. And they would interview, examine you, ask you questions, and pray for you. Mm-hmm. So after one year, you're licensed. All right. Then you had another year. Okay. Then another year. And after another year of studies and examinations, then as soon as you were completed that, then you had a, a, um, a through, in front of the whole presbytery, there would be an ordination service. And you would be voted on by all uh, to accept your ordination. Okay. Basically, there was no $25 internet uh, ordination back right, then. Right, right, right. I mean, matter of fact, if you weren't really called, you're not going to jump through all those hoops for two years and drive all those miles. It's kind of a weeding out process. Kind of, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't, you know what, I look back, I don't see anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I know several different people that had become ordained because somebody wanted to do a, a wedding. Yeah, right. What a hypocrisy. What how sad that mm. something as grand as a calling from God and people are being ordained just for a secular wedding service. Now, right. You know, right. but um, so anyway, so the last thing is that you have the or, the presbytery ordination service. And uh, so we have it at my church and uh, where I was pastoring and they wanted me to preach and all the pastors and the elders from like 14 different churches and, and their wives. And I mean, it was it's, it's a packed house. Mm-hmm. And I really prayed about what the Lord wanted me to preach about. And he just, the Lord spoke to me. We talk about the anointing of David. Mm-hmm. Actually, the two anointings of David. Okay. There's the private anointing by the prophet of God. And then later on, the public anointing in front of the people. Mm-hmm. And basically, the point is, the public anointing means nothing without the private anointing from God's prophet. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, without the call, without the anointing from God, the public ceremony doesn't mean anything. It's, me- yeah, it's gotcha. meaningless. It's mm-hmm. meaningless. Little also told me that night to wash the feet mm-hmm. of every elder and pastor that was there. Uh, basically, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but in my 30s, I thought I was really it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I don't know, at that age, you know, you think you know it all, you think you can do it all. There is, whether you like it or not, there is a testosterone, male-driven, you know, I've got it together kind of thing. Right. You know, we, we all struggle to different degrees. But the Lord said, you're going to humble yourself and you're going to wash the feet of every old. And some of, I remember, 
I remember calling up there and they just looked at each other like, is he really going to do this? Mm -hmm. I said, the Lord told me to do it. <laughs> so they're all circled, sitting in the front rows of pews up on there where the choirs, you know, all around. And I got this panel. I'm, I'm crying. I am weeping as I'm washing their feet. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were like bunions and corns and ingrown toenails. It was... What but, is it with older people's feet? I tell you, it's rough, rough go when you get older with your feet. Uh, you'll, you'll find out someday. <laughs> you'll, you'll answer the question yeah, I know, yourself. Right? But, uh, but, but I, I mean, I just wept. Mm -hmm. And that was critical to, there's something all in these, and I'm not trying to break it down into an equation, but there is something about humility. Mm -hmm. You know, there is something about the call, you know, they're just, so the very end of the, of the ordination service is that you, they're giving you a charge. Mm -hmm. And the last thing is we, Susan and I went, we sat in the very front row and there was a guy named, uh, uh, a pastor. He had pastored, I don't know how many churches. And, uh, uh, his name was Ned Sutton. Mm -hmm. He was like the kind of the Moses of our association. All right. So he stands up and he's giving Susan and I a charge. Now, when I was 18 years old and I was done with high school, I, uh, didn't want any part of college. I'm sick of school. So I, I work construction. Mm -hmm. And I labored for two, two carpenters, and we were remodeling a house for a guy. And it was a pastor, and it was a guy named Ned Sutton. Okay. And whenever I was 18, he uh, he would tell me about the Lord. Mm. That, think about, I'm sorry. It's all right. Think about the, the sovereignty, the providence of God. Mm -hmm. you know, here you are when you're 18, and here's a pastor coming out. And you kind of blow, I'm blowing him off. Right. But here's this guy when he's 18 telling me about, you know, the Lord. And here I am, you know, way over here. And here's this guy giving me his, I know he was going to give me my charge. I didn't yeah. know. And here I look up and it's him. Now he's old, you know, he's mm -hmm. older, but it's still the same guy. Did he remember? Did he remember talking I don't know. to you? I don't know. Yeah. Because as soon as he gave me the charge, he said, young man, three things that you must never forget when you preach the gospel. And he reached down and he shook my hand and he fell dead right at our feet. Wow. And he died, just dropped right there. My goodness. Uh, and, uh. I mean, the ambulance came, but he was My dead goodness. right there. I mean, it was packed full of people. People tried to do CPR on him, but he shook my hand and stepped back and smiled and dropped dead. My goodness. In three months, Jared, my church is, is building a new sanctuary, um, gymnasiums for youth programs, new buildings. People are being saved and baptized. And I used to have to keep count because I had to send it into the association. Mm -hmm. There's no glory in me. But we were like either first or second in salvations, conversions, church membership. Mm -hmm. We went from 30 to almost 300 people. Hmm. And the difference is when the Lord builds your house. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. We can't, we really can't do much. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, in the end of this, you'll find out how little we know, how little we're in control. You'll find all those things out mm -hmm. as you get older. Yeah. You know, we strain and we struggle and we... And you really find out that there are so many things that are beyond, other than our, our willing heart. Yeah. If we can just say, Lord, here I am. Here yeah. I am, Lord. That's Use good. me. You That's know, good. just like Isaiah said, Lord said, who shall I send? Isaiah said, send me. Yeah. Send me. That's I good. don't need to know how it's going to work out. You know, I just got to know, you know what, Lord, I believe and have enough faith that if I take that first step, you got every other step after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not, it's just a yielding. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I think we both agree on that. Yeah. It's just a yielding. You know, this the letting go, and um, and uh, and and we were there like five years, and and just a, a, the Lord did a lot of things, a mm -hmm. lot of things, a lot of exciting things. I remember I was called. I've been up. I would go preach revivals at different churches because people thought, 
well, if he'll come preach at my church, it'll happen here at my church. Right, right, right. Wrong, 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 wrong. Mm-hmm. This, this is the heart. Mm-hmm. You know, I can, I can share a testimony to maybe help you with, encourage you or help you with your faith a little bit. The, the potential is there, but it's the heart of the people. And I think that's, that's critical because I think so often people can see God work in one particular place and then think, oh, we've got this figured out. Mm-hmm. And then other people go and try to replicate that same yeah. thing. And it's like, wait a minute, that's not how the ways of God work. Exactly. And, it's it's and, the uh, worst thing you can do yeah. is try to copy what the Lord's doing somewhere else. Right. He does a new thing. He does a new thing. And he does something unique in your life, Jared, that he, will, that he could never do in my life. Mm-hmm. It's ahead for you. you right. Know? He just, he's got those plans. He has those. Yeah. Well, so let's, uh, for the sake of time, because I want you to be able to speak to some of these guys that are listening in, just some lessons you've learned over the years. After ministry there, you've done some unique things where you've been an interim pastor for several churches where you would come in and preach They've either in a season of transition or a difficult time where you've come in and just kind of been a stabilizing factor where you've come in for, you know, six months, a year at a time, year and a half at a time where, where, you know, people just call you up and Mm -hmm. you've always said to me and and I've, I've really taken this to heart that you've never had to look for opportunities. God just kind of laid them in your lap where people will make the call, send the request and, and then you'd fill Mm -hmm. in the need and uh, that's happened multiple times to give and give you several different ministry you know experiences. And so when you have those experiences, both in pastoral ministry, but then also in these interim positions, you pick up lessons along the way. You preach in revivals, and so you're in a lot of different churches, and so you accumulate lessons and you, you accumulate things yeah. that you've learned that can be helpful for others. So you know, before this, I just sent you a message right before, and uh, you know, what what are some things along the way that you've picked up that you think, you know, okay, so you've got pastors listening in. It's not exclusively pastors, but it's it's a lot of pastors that are listening in. What are some things that, you know, you kind of take out of your back pocket of lessons that, that you can throw out there and say, here's some things to consider? When I, when I, I probably preached in maybe a hundred different churches who just invite me sometimes to come and preach. And every time that I would go, in the back of my mind, the Lord would always say, just look around at what's right and look around at what's wrong. Okay. Every church, just like the seven letters the church in there's something good and there's something that the Lord addresses. You mm-hmm. see things that are done right, and you see things that are done wrong in churches. Um, uh, I, I've been in a, I, I think I've been in five churches, either as a senior, several times interim for a couple of years, and as an elder slash preacher teacher at a, a big church of a couple thousand people. I'm not sold on the mega church, big church game plan or mindset. Um, I, you lose something. The most successful churches. And you know this too. I would rather have 150 committed people mm-hmm. that love Jesus and love each other than 500 people and half of them there are um, causing problems or are right. uncommitted or you just can't move. Right. Um, they're clay that is hardened and unshapeable. Yeah. You know, because you'll find joy in 150. And 150 people in a church that love each other can do a lot. Yeah. A lot of things in the, in, in the kingdom and for the kingdom can they do. Uh um, but uh, like I said, I'm not so. When someone stands up and says, "I want you to pray for my son Jeremy," mm-hmm. you need to know who their son Jeremy is that you're praying for. Mm-hmm. I've been in big churches where they say, "Pray for such." I have no idea who they're talking about. Right. You know, you're, you're disconnected uh, unless you're part of a of a small spherical subgroup. You know, then mm-hmm. and then you know those, but you don't really. Um, so I see a lot of problems with that mindset in churches today. Mm-hmm. The, the problem is this: I, in a lot of churches. We've got big agendas, big budgets, you know, big plans. We have big degrees, doctor so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And what happens is 
the, the leaders become CEOs of, of a corporation. Okay. Yeah. And uh, suddenly, to meet those big budgets, you got to keep people happy. Right. You've got to keep that money flowing in. You you know it's and suddenly you start making compromises. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that a lot of our problems are you know it's okay for a lost person. I love a lost person to be in my church. Mm-hmm. You know, either get saved or get so upset you have to leave. Mm-hmm. But never make them members of your church. Never right. put them on committees. Never put them in positions of leadership. Right. Because that's why we what we're seeing in big denominations right now. Mm-hmm. You have unregenerated. Um, Carnal minds, spiritual minded people mm-hmm. who in, in positions of voting and positions of decision making yeah. in churches, and that's what's bad, going wrong. Bad deal. Yeah. For a young pastor, I would I would say this is watch out for frustration. Watch out for frustration. The kingdom works in ebb and flow, ebb and flow. Everything, everything, winter, summer, even your heartbeat, it beats and and, and recoils, beats and recoils. The rhythm of God is you'll you'll see this growth spurt, you'll see new people come. And then all of a sudden you'll feel this lull, mm-hmm. which is actually a maturing, a restructuring kind of in the new people, which is part of it. Right. Don't get frustrated when you go six months and nobody's being saved or no new faces, you know. And don't be frustrated if somebody leaves because they don't like the way that you interpret the word and practice, you know, yeah. the leadership in your church. Because right. sometimes that pruning, you know, has to go on for there to be more fruit being mm-hmm. produced. So watch out for frustration, you know. And it's all ebb and flow. It's all timing. Because just whenever you think that you're about ready to throw your hands up and you're weeping in your prayer closet, all of a sudden the Lord does something awesome. And yeah. all of a sudden 10 new people come, 10 new families come, and they've heard about this. And, and I've told you before, it's it's a new converts. It's a new people yeah, that invite invite people. Yep. The ones that have been there forever get very comfortable. Mm-hmm. And um, It's true. But, uh, you know, another thing I would tell a young pastor is... Uh, 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 um, don't try to go in and change. When you go into a new, a, to an existing church, mm-hmm. you've been in both positions. Oh yeah, you got, you've had the, the you know ministry is like Charles Dickens' novel. It's the best of times and the worst of times. Mm-hmm. You know when you <laughs> tell two cities. In church, it can be the best, you know, most gratifying, and it can be the most heartbreaking. Yeah, weeping in bed. You know, you right. know, Lord, uh, you know, it's it can be that way. I think you're vulnerable in, in the world. You got your armor up, you know, but mm-hmm. in the church, you're, you're transparent, you're open, you're honest and you're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, you can get hurt in churches really bad. Yeah. But if you go into an existing church and I, I've told several people this, and I even learned this when I got my master's in administration, I remember things that they taught us and they would say, when you go into a new school, don't try and change very much at all the first year. Mm-hmm. Get to de- know people and develop strong relationships. Because mm-hmm. if you go in like gangbusters and want to, I, I got these new ideas. What happens yep. is people will rebel and they will 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 resist you, and it, it'll be a, it'll turn out very badly. Mm-hmm. So first year, go in and just get to know people, yeah. build strong relationships. Susan and I would go into everybody's home and go eat co- have coffee or something with them. Once you've been at their home, you've, you've established something. Everybody wants to feel like they're important enough that the pastor will come to my house. Mm-hmm. When you've been to their house, you've established something with them. The second year, you, when you make improvements, some things don't change. But mm-hmm. other things, you can you can make a change at a rate of about 10% at a time, uh-huh. and people will accept that. Any more than that, they, they bowl up again. Yeah. So the changes you make, make sure that uh, their battle's worth fighting. Make sure it's a little bit at a time. And still have like a five-year plan, yeah. you know. Um, Which yeah. is good to have the wisdom to know what, 
needs to change now? What can wait? You know, sequentially here, what's yeah. of, of greater importance? What's of yes. lesser importance as, as you yeah. move out through the years? Because you've probably seen this guys go in and say, okay, I want this church to be the, uh, the picture book, the perfect church right off the bat. Right. And all of a sudden you're, you're, you've got battles, you've got fights on your hands and because mm-hmm. people are resistant to change, especially older people. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, we have, we have, the wisdom and experience, but we don't like change. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we just don't. We, we are resistant because we're just different. You don't, you don't have the energy. You don't have the strength. We're just, we, we get comfortable in the way it's been. Um, so, you know, working, you know, with a, with a, a five-year plan instead of changing, not being frustrated, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, and, and, and pacing yourself too. Um, this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. Yeah. When I was at, at one church, I just told them, I said, every three months, I'm going to take a Sunday off, and my wife and I are going to go sit in the back pew of some other church, go out to eat. Mm-hmm. You've got to have a Sunday off just every once in a while, mentally, spiritually, physically, just to kind of take a deep breath. I told him up front I had to do that yeah. and just get away. You just have got to take those breaks. Um, well, I know. think that's one of the areas, too. I've talked a lot about the reason most pastors end up in a moral failure it's not because they don't do the X's and, and Y's of ministry. It's, it's actually they're doing the visible side of ministry pretty well. Mm-hmm. But it's that back-end stuff of not being able to take care of themselves as a Christian man. Yes. And so what I've seen you do is, is you've lived really well, both in the public life but also privately. You've you've um, One of the things that I've learned from you is just just wisdom, wisdom and, and living life and, and understanding uh, how life works and how a family works and being wise with money and and. and financial decisions and not being not overextending yourself and mm-hmm. i think that's a part of it is knowing that, that this is a marathon rather than a sprint because i think a lot of guys just run themselves ragged yeah. in both life and in ministry yeah. to yeah. where they it's just not sustainable yeah one of the it's okay and i don't want to talk about a willing heart but it's okay to say no sometimes mm-hmm. because uh, the most dangerous thing in a church is a good idea that's not from god mm-hmm. see we recognize wickedness we recognize folly, stupidity. But I can remember going into a business meeting and being praying about something, having spent months researching it, and somebody just throwing, hey, what if we did this instead? It was mm-hmm. like, you know, somebody just vomits some uh, thought out without any prayer yeah. or any, you know, pre-thought. Mm-hmm. And it's like those thoughts, be careful of those in a church. You know, anytime, it's always good to say, you know what, let's just uh, pigeonhole that. Let's mm-hmm. put it on hold. You know, you don't want to tell them, well, that's a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, you know, let's pigeonhole that and uh, we'll pray about that and we'll come back to that at a later date. Mm-hmm. It's always good, you know, because I've, I've, I've been that other route, mm-hmm. you know, especially when it's somebody popular in your church, everybody likes and they've got the good idea. Right. Um, you know, Paul said, uh, be careful about to lay hands on somewhere hastily. Mm-hmm. What that yeah. means is be careful about commissioning someone into a position. Because I've done I've, yeah. almost everything I'm telling you, I've done the opposite at one time, and it came back to bite me. Right. You know, I had somebody that was only saved like less than a year, and they were so popular, we put them in youth ministry. Uh-huh. And, and everybody loved them, but they were so easily manipulated by the devil. Every time, you know, they're up and down, and caught, you know, it caused me a whole lot of problems because they right. did not have the maturity to be in that position yet. Yeah. And here I was needing somebody. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, hey, you yeah, great, sure. man. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. So, you know what? The word... Whether you like it or not, you've got to stick with it. Mm-hmm. There's a reason the wisdom of God is in there because, you know, our wisdom is, you know, we just, we, we don't know. We don't mm-hmm. know the, the future. We don't know how it's going to play out if we go down that. So, and you're good about that, Jared. Stick with the word, mm-hmm. even if it's not popular. Right. You know, even if people don't, you just got to stick with the word, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and the last thing I guess is, is, is just what I know is 
that come is, I never heard about the Holy Spirit hmm. in the churches where I was never saved. Gotcha. Do not neglect the third member of the Godhead. Don't be afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid to teach about. Don't be afraid to lay hands on somebody and pray. Mm-hmm. You know, don't be don't be afraid of that. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of churches know everything about Jesus. We know everything about the Immaculate Conception, His birth, His dedication. Uh, um, his baptism, his beginning of ministry, his parables. We know about the, the Passion Week. We know about the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension. Ask people, do you know that much about the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. Because Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go yeah. because I'm going to send another. Mm-hmm. All right? it's, it's, it's to your benefit that I go away because he'll be able to do things. So Jesus, you know, the Lamb of God, he leaves and then suddenly the person who indwells and inspires and motivates us and imparts gifts and all of that suddenly becomes to dwell within us. Mm-hmm. So pastors, if you really want to, you know what, teach and preach and talk about the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. you always pray in the name of Jesus. You always keep Jesus right there, you know, but don't be afraid to talk about, you know, the ministry of the Holy Spirit yeah. because he'll do, you know, what he wants to do mm-hmm. and what he needs to do in a, in a group of people that just lay it out and say, here we are, Lord, we're just a group of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, we don't have any agenda. We don't have any. We're just ready to follow whatever you want to do. Yeah. And you'd be surprised what will begin to happen in a group of people. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's good. That's a lot of good stuff. Well, guys, I hope you've enjoyed this. You know, Dennis and I. You can tell. I mean, we're you know, and you guys are as well. Preachers can just go on and talk. And if you were to ask questions, we'd be able to lay out some more things for you. But I'm thankful just to know you, Dennis, and it's been way overdue to have you on, and, yeah, and I hope these guys have been encouraged. That. I'm sure they, yeah, sure they I hope are. that they were encouraged, and, and uh, you know, God bless them in their ministry, yeah, and wherever they're at. And uh, like the old, the old man told me when, right before he died, when Dad said, he said, "Son, he said, preach the word in season and out, yeah, whether you like it or not, whether right. you feel like it, whether you got a headache, you know what? Preach the word in season and out." Yeah. And the other thing you told me was said, be a pleaser of God and not of men. That's good. Don't please people because you'll never, you'll never, you'll never be able to please them. Mm-hmm. They'll never have their appetite will never be satisfied. But always make sure that you you please God. Yeah. You know. And the other thing that you told me was, uh, you know, always know who butters your bread. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, what he means by that is, you're you you can do nothing on your you can do nothing without him but you can do everything with him okay there was gotcha. a reason when god told david not to count the people mm-hmm. don't count your men yeah because what it is there's this side of like how many men i've got how big is my army mm-hmm. how strong that i am with my men and see what that was that just developed pride and self you know acclimatization mm-hmm. uh, just and that god's no keep it humble and keep trusting me yeah but I, you never don't worry about counting. Jeff Rush always told me they said never count your people. You don't want to know your membership. Hmm. I don't know any numbers. Yeah, because then all of a sudden one pastor is boasting the other pastor mm-hmm. how many he's got, how many. Well, I mean that's the classic thing, right? You go to a pastor's conference and then people, you know, yeah. try to suddenly yeah. figure out how how many people go to your church yeah. and that kind of thing. Yeah. But hey, guys, it's been a lot of fun. This is my father-in-law Dennis Vaughn, and I want to thank you guys so much for listening. Please consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes. And if you want any more information about the ministry, you can go to theshepherdscrook.co.